forgive me. Uh, just a little emotional. I'm sorry. Oh. <clears throat> In just a few weeks, I'll be returning back to Myanmar. And uh, I was reading through the book of Acts just to reacquaint myself with missions and um, what biblical missions looks like. And I encountered chapter 14 and just uh, fell in love with a certain passage here. And so, uh, like I said, we want to just walk through some of the things that Paul and Barnabas went through. And I just want to give you a little bit of background because we kind of picked up in the middle of the passage here. Starting verse 1 through 5, they come to a place called Iconium. And here they're, they're preaching in the synagogues. They're, they're preaching to Jews and to Gentiles also, to Greeks. And many believed. And so it was looking really great. And they stayed there for a while, and they were preaching. People were being converted. Well, then some of the unbelieving Jews, some of the traditional Jews, they, they did not like this message of Jesus being the Messiah. And so, boy, they, they stirred up a big stink, and uh, they plotted to to have them stoned. And Paul and Barnabas hear about this, and they hit the road. They head to to Lystra, just uh, not many miles down the road. So verses 6 through 21, they're in Lystra. They're preaching there, and uh, this man who's lame from his birth, he gets healed by Paul, uh, or actually by God through Paul. And they're worshipped, after they see this, all these people gather together, and they're, they're very pagan people. And they see the great things that Paul and Barnabas are doing, and they get this big idea. This must be Zeus and Hermes. They must be Greek gods. And so they try to worship them. They, they try to offer sacrifices to Paul and Barnabas, and they see this, and they say, whoa, whoa, whoa. Man, we're just men. We're, we're not gods. We're just men. But let me tell you about the one true God. And they start to preach to them about who the true God was. Which I think is interesting the way they related to them in their context. They didn't go back to try to teach Old Testament scriptures or, you know, things like that. They started basically from creation and began to teach to them who God was, the one true God. And so um, they leave from there and they come to a place called, uh, to Derby later. Actually, in Lystra... Remember the verses we just read, it says, But Jews came from Antioch and Iconium, and having persuaded the crowds, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing that he was dead. So these people came like over 100 miles just to cause havoc on Paul and Barnabas for their teaching and their preaching. So in verses 6 through 21, you have them there at Lystra. The crippled man is healed. They're trying to be worshipped as gods. They were stoned. And then they go off to Derby to preach and to teach. So the next day they get up. Paul is not dead, obviously. He, he gets up. They thought he was dead. And he goes to Derby to preach and to teach. And then it brings us to uh, part of our message here. So the first part of their mission, as they're going through these, these little cities, first part of their mission is to evangelize. But then they could have just went home from there. It wasn't that far. They could have went to Tarsus, which is not that far away, uh, more of an easterly direction, but he doesn't do that. Paul and Barnabas say, you know what? We're going to go back the long way 
and revisit these people we just evangelized. And so the first part of their mission is to evangelize. The second part of their mission basically is to organize local bodies of believers, to get them together. And in verse 22, it tells us, here's what they did. They came to strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith, and saying that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. So a few little things I just want to bring out in this chapter, in this verse actually. This is really the verse that, that captured my attention that I really like to, uh, to focus on this morning. I'm not to exhaust everything that they did, everything about biblical missions, but just this one verse. So the first thing they do is they, they're establishing the hearts and minds of the disciples with doctrine. It says here, they were strengthening the souls of the disciples. So what that literally means is they were establishing their hearts. They are building up on a foundation of sound doctrine on the fundamentals of the Christian faith. So as a loving mother would nurture and feed her newborn baby, taking care not to leave the child helpless and with no nutrition, so Paul and Barnabas begin the task of nurturing brand new Christians with sound teaching and the fundamentals of the Christian faith. Can you imagine? Here we had uh, Miss Holly. She just had the baby this week, right? And so could you imagine if Miss Holly has this baby that she's been longing for so, for so long, and she has it, and then she walks away from it and says, have a nice life. That would not be very nice, would it? In fact, I think DSS would come in probably within a couple of hours and take that baby from her. She would not be a good mother. But yet Paul and Barnabas, here they are. They went through evangelizing the towns on the first trip through, and then because of that nurturing spirit and then they knowing the Bible and knowing that God wants disciples, they go back through these towns and they begin teaching them on the fundamentals. They begin with the milk of the word. Remember 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 2, it says, As newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word that ye may grow thereby. These are brand new Christians from a totally different culture, some of them. Can you imagine the Jews at this time, the, the Jewish converts? Can you imagine the questions they have for Paul? He comes through first just evangelizing, just preaching the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, and people are converted. On his way back through, I guess you can imagine they've got some questions. The Jew is probably thinking, wait a minute, now how, how does this work out? Like, we look through the Old Testament, we read the Old Testament, we study it. Where is Jesus there? We're, we were expecting a king. What do you mean he had to come and die and be resurrected? How does this all work out? So Paul and Barnabas began teaching fundamentals to these new Jewish believers. Think that also, too, the Greek believers, what kind of obstacles they had to overcome in their new belief. So he has to go through all so many different things and preach and teach uh, the basic fundamentals of the Christian faith. So that's the first thing they did. They, they were establishing, strengthening the souls of the disciples. Next thing we see is they are encouraging them to continue in the faith. So not only did the missionaries teach them sound doctrine, but they encouraged them to live out their faith, to persevere in their faith. Because this sentence is connected to the next one, which is talking about tribulations are coming. So he says, we got to make sure we're going to get you deep in the Word, we're going to teach you the fundamentals, but we want to make sure that you continue 
in the faith, that you're walking, you're living it out, you're persevering, you are enduring in this faith. So one of the greatest temptations to believers, especially new believers, is to turn their back, back to their old life. The old life was familiar. The old life is easy. The old life had pleasures. And then when tribulations come, it's easy, it's very tempting to say, you know what, this is, this is not what I thought. It's easy to, to go back to that. But now as disciples of Christ, life begins to be uncomfortable, maybe painful. And Jesus says in John 8, 31, Then said Jesus to those Jews which believed on him, If you continue in my word, then are ye my disciples indeed. If you continue, let me get a sip of water here. I'm on some medicine right now. I got some sinus issues, and it makes me very thirsty. So forgive me. <clears throat> so they're encouraging the disciples to continue in the faith. Jesus tells us that uh, to those which believe on him, if you continue in my word, then are ye my disciples indeed. How do we know? If we are his disciples, it's not because we at one time in one, one part of our life, whether several years ago or many years ago or whatever, we don't look back and say, well, I made a profession of faith at this time. That's why I'm saved now. Nothing wrong with making a profession. I'm not talking about that. But we don't base our salvation now on something we did back in the past. Jesus says, if you continue in my word, so we have no assurance of salvation if we are not living in his word. If we are not abiding in him and living out what he has preached and what he has commanded us to do, we have no assurance of that salvation. So how do we know if we are his disciples? Are we continuing in his word? Not just reading the word, not just knowing the word, but are we continuing? Are we living it? Are we persevering through it? And it's not that our perseverance merits salvation. It's not that our perseverance earns that salvation, but that the truly saved will persevere. They will endure. And that's what he's saying there in John chapter 8, verse 31. If you continue in my word, then are you my disciples indeed. So he's encouraged that Paul and Barnabas are encouraging these brand new believers, don't stop believing. And I know your ears perked up. <laughs> He's thinking of journey. Don't stop believing. <laughs> Maybe karaoke next time. You, you give them an idea of that. But that's exactly what Paul is preaching and Barnabas is preaching. Don't stop believing. Your assurance of salvation is not based upon something you did a long time ago or because you got your signature or whatever in the back of your Bible or whatever. You signed a prayer card. That's not how you get assurance of salvation. Your assurance is based upon, are you believing? Are you believing? So first of all, they're establishing the hearts and minds of the disciples with sound doctrine. They're encouraging the disciples to continue in the faith. Thirdly, they're equipping the disciples for the certainty of tribulation. Notice what it says. And saying that through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. It's been said to be forewarned is to be forearmed. So what are these tribulations? 
the word tribulation, um, the Greek word, it doesn't really matter. I mean, I'll, I'll probably forget this. And I'm, I don't blame you if you do too. But it's called thlipsis, all right? Thlipsis. It's the idea of being squeezed or crushed under extreme outside pressures. In the Jewish and the Greek mindset, they might have thought back to um, the olive press. The olive press would have been this big round structure and would have had a trench. It's all made of stone. And in the, in the trench is another huge round stone that has a, a hole where a, like a, a piece of wood or some type of pole would go through it. And so the object was to take this pole with this big stone wheel, and you walk around with yourself or maybe an oxen or something, and you take this stone through that stone trench, and you put your fruit, whether it's olives or whatever, in this thing, and as this big stone thing is coming around, it crushes all these fruits, and, it, and, and the juice comes out. So what's on the inside is squeezed out. The pressure, the crushing, brings what's on the inside out. And so, maybe if you were a Roman, you might have thought in this, about this word, tribulation, of something called a tribulum. Uh, a tribulum was basically a, about, uh, about a five-foot or so piece of wood, huge, big chunk of wood, maybe about six inches thick, about two feet wide or so, like a big wooden sled. And on the bottom of this big wooden sled, they would take these little pieces of flint rock, and they would hammer these flint rocks into this big piece of wood called a tribulum. And then they would take this sled, put it down on top of grains or wheat or whatever, and they would walk around with this sled, with an ox or with themselves, whichever, on this big area. And they would have all the grains and stuff. This sled was on top of that, and it's literally crushing and grinding through these crops. And again, the the idea is for what's on the inside to be brought out to the outside. It separates wheat and chaff, uh, but it takes the, what's on the inside of the fruit and squeezes it out. So in either case, the picture is great pressure squeezing or crushing an object so that what is on the inside comes out. And that leads us to the first, I guess, purpose of tribulations. And uh, there's probably a hundred different purposes in tribulation, but I'm just going to deal with just a few. So the first thing that we see in the tribulation is that the reasoning for it is that it proves our faith. Like I said, what's on the inside is squeezed out. All right. So we see in Matthew chapter 13 about proving our faith, Jesus talks about these parables of soils, right? And then there's this one specific soil where it was rocky. And so the, the sower goes out there and he throws seeds. Some of that seed falls on rocky soil. And then what happens? The, the seed sprouts and it looks like it's doing really great. It's green. It's looking good. But then the sun comes out. The sun, this heat comes out. And that rocky soil seed is immediately scorched. It just withers away, Right? Then what about the thorny ground soil? There's a soil that has thorns and thistles and things, and so the, the sower throws out the seed, and it falls on this thorny area, and then the, the stuff shoots up pretty quick, 
but then the thorns and the, the briars and things wrap around it and they choke out the plant and of course it bears no fruit. In both of those, they bear no fruit. Then you have, of course, the, the, good, the good ground, the one that has neither the, the stones or the, the thistles and thorns and that's plowed up, they toss it in, it comes up. And the point being is that in the tribulations, in these trials, in these pressing times, it reveals what kind of soil you have, what kind of seed you have. And so in this one instance of the, the, the rocky soil, there was no root. There wasn't enough soil for the seed to grab down and get root and get nutrients from the ground. And so when tribulations come, when hardships came, this plant withered away and died. So it proves our faith in the same way that's exactly how our faith goes. If we have root grounded in the Word of God, then we will produce fruit. If there is no root, there will be no fruit. So if you have the rocky ground, you're not rooted in anything, you're not rooted in the Word of God, you've made a false profession. You just tried Jesus because, hey, it's the thing to do. I've got uh, this thing over here, uh, whether it's a failed marriage or my finances are bad or... I just don't feel good, whatever. And you say, I'll try Jesus. I'll take him on and see if he can fix my problems for me. And then when the tribulations come out, the, the pressing times come out in your life, you find out, you know what, man, this Jesus thing ain't working for me. I'm, I'm walking away from it. I'm done with that. And so it proves our faith. It reveals those who are false converts, but if you are a true believer, when you're pressed, when you're a grape and you press a grape, juice comes out, right? When you press the fruit, the fruit, the juice of the fruit comes out. And so when a believer is pressed, he springs forth the glory of God in it, okay? So it proves our faith. Secondly, it produces new grace. So what do you mean by that, new graces? Well... In this very chapter, some believe that when Paul was stoned here in Lystra, that this could have been the actual time when he had that heavenly vision. Remember 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Uh, he says there, whether I was in the body or not, I don't know, but I was caught up into the third heavens and I saw all these wonderful things and it was so beautiful and so wonderful that I can't even talk about it. And so God gives him this spirit of infirmity to keep him humble. And he calls it, Paul calls it his thorn in the flesh, whatever that is. It could be something from the stoning, could, I don't know. But he had this thorn in the flesh. And three times Paul says, Lord, please take it away from me. So on three different occasions, Paul, who we know is a man of prayer, he gets prayers answered. He prays three times and God says, no, nope. In fact, he says, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Then Paul says, most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Man, that is, that is major. How often do we pray to God, like, God, please spare me this pain. I don't want this. Nobody likes it. I don't like it. 
And so many times God tells us, no, I want to let you go through this because my grace is sufficient. It's more than enough. He gives you new graces that you didn't need yesterday. And I look around here and I see some of you with missing spouses. And I think, man, I have no idea what you're going through. I can't imagine that. But yet here you are. And I guarantee you, when all this stuff happened, when you lost your spouse, you probably thought, I, I can't function. I can't live. I, how, can I, how can I even get out of the bed in the morning? You ever felt like that? But yet, the new day, God gives you a new grace. 2011 was probably our worst year we've ever had. In 2011, we, uh, we buried two of our babies. And man, it was, it was really hard. It was really hard. And I remember looking at my wife, and she really bore the, the brunt of this because just a woman's love for her children. And she got to nurture them inside of her, and she felt them kick. And so I, I saw her when all this happened that, Oh, it was terrible. And I remember thinking, God, why are you doing this? What did we do to deserve this? And what are you, what are, what are you planning here? What have you got going on? Why do we have to go through this? And you could feel uh, his loving arms just wrap around each one of us. And he took care of us. He nurtured us in it. He revealed parts of him that I never would have saw. And no doubt each one of you have been through different things, whether it's a loss of a spouse or a child or a sickness, a cancer or whatever, whatever life's pressures are on you. And yet in those times, God reveals himself in a healing way that you never would have known before. And in that, this is what Paul says, therefore, I'd rather glory in my infirmities. Bring on the infirmity if it shows Christ's power through me. And that's exactly what I see in many of your faces today. That God's sustaining grace is keeping you and producing fruit in you. And I know it hurts. I know it's horrible. But it's beautiful. Suffering threatens to undermine our faith in the goodness of God. But here, Paul combats that temptation by proclaiming God's goodness in the trial. And you guys are such an inspiration. I look out and I see so many different issues that you've been through. And you're such an inspiration to people like us. So please, don't, don't stop believing in Man, don't give up. Let the power of Christ shine through you. So it proves our faith. It produces new graces. And it reveals what's valuable. It reshapes our focus from temporal things to things that are eternal. 2 Corinthians 4, 
17 and 18 says this, For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Tribulations cause us to examine what's truly important. It shifts our focus from things that really aren't that big of a deal to things that are really a big deal. You know what? You're going through these trials and tribulations. Suddenly, the fact that I'm stuck in Raleigh traffic is not that big of a deal, right? You know, can I pay for Netflix this month? That's not that big of a deal, is it? You know? When your spouse or your whatever is going through cancer treatments, who cares about what the TV gets, you know? It has a way, trials and tribulations have a way of shifting our focus from things that are just temporal, things that are going to burn, to things that are eternal. It forces us to set our eyes and set our affections on the kingdom of God and not the junk that we have here. So suppose I told you of a path you should take. Here's this path. We look at the path. I say this path is dangerous. This path is going to be unpleasant. It's going to be very uncomfortable. And it's probably going to be one that's going to cause you a lot of pain. Why in the world would you want to take it? You ever thought about that? Here's Paul and Barnabas. The guy just got stoned. I mean, they thought he was dead. He had a bad day. And then he, he's going to go back? He's going back to these people? I mean, Paul, are you a glutton for punishment? Why would you put yourself in that position? And yet Paul goes to these people and he tells them, tribulations, they're a must. They're a certainty. They're coming because you have to go on this path of tribulations to enter the kingdom of God. So why would anybody take this path? The only reason any man in his right mind would want to take this path is because of the destination. The value of the destination. Notice what it says. Through many tribulations, we must enter what? The kingdom of God. It is valuable. It is so valuable. This raises many questions for me. The kingdom of God. You have to go through tribulations to enter the kingdom of God. Okay? So this raises some questions. Is suffering the means by which we enter this kingdom? Because it kind of sounds like that's what he's saying. That you have to go through these sufferings to enter the kingdom. So is, is just the fact that I suffer things, does that make me qualified to enter the kingdom of God? No. Tribulations are the path by which we enter. The work of Jesus Christ on the cross is the means. That's the gospel. The gospel is the means. We can't do any good work or go through any horrible thing to earn our way into heaven. Every one of us are sinners. I can look at myself. Man, I've told lies. I'm a liar. I've stolen things. I'm a thief. I've blasphemed. I've taken God's name in vain. I'm a blasphemer. I've hated people in my heart. I'm a murderer. This is who I am. This is who I am by nature. And this stuff comes out of me freely. 
So I'm in trouble. And all of us, we're in the same boat. We're all in trouble. So how do we get to this kingdom of God? Is it through our tribulations? Nope. It's through the suffering of another. Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, He came down in His love for us. He fulfilled that law. He lived a perfect, sinless life. Everywhere we failed, He fulfilled. This law that we could not live up to, He fulfilled it. He lived a perfect, sinless life. He never sinned in His thoughts. He never sinned in His speech. He never sinned in His actions. Then He went to a cross, and God emptied all of His wrath, the wrath that my sin deserves, the wrath that your sin deserves. All of that was emptied on the Son of God. And he took it. He drank that cup on our behalf. Three days later, he rose from the dead. And the Bible says he was delivered for our offenses, but was raised again for our justification. So now in the court of law, God's righteous court of law, he can legally declare you righteous based upon the death, burial, and resurrection of his son, Jesus Christ. Nothing you can do. It's not about what you're doing or going through or whatever. It's about trusting in the finished work of Christ, resting in it. It's not about me repeating a fancy prayer, going to church every day, doing moral things, doing good deeds, doing religious things. That does not earn your way to heaven. It's about resting in the finished work of Christ. So tribulations are the path by which we enter. The work of Jesus Christ is the means. The sufferings of Christ save us from the suffering of punishment, not the suffering of purification. This path that we're on is a path of purification. He is constantly chiseling away everything that does not look like Christ. And that can be painful. That could be the pressing, the tribulations that we have to go through. That brings me to another question. What is this kingdom of God? Is this just some big wall that has a castle and a moat and stuff like that? What is this kingdom of God? It's like a fairy tale, doesn't it? Basically, the, the kingdom of God is simply just the rule and reign of our sovereign Lord. That's it. It's present in the life of those who are trusting in Jesus. You can be a part of that kingdom today. If you're a believer, you're a part of that kingdom. You've been translated from one kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. You could be in that today. But it also has a future connotation to it. And it sounds like this future here in the text. Strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith, and saying that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. So there's a future consummation. There's a, the rule and reign of Jesus Christ that is not realized throughout the whole world today, throughout all of creation, but one day it will be. And that will be the final consummation. So there is a present tense to it that we can enjoy today, eternal life, uh, kingdom of God, kingdom of heaven, salvation. Those are all synonymous terms. If you read through Matthew chapter 19 with the, uh, the rich young ruler, you see all those terms used in that one little lesson. But it's also going to be something that will be realized in the future with everyone. So what's this kingdom about? If this kingdom is supposed to be valuable, 
and we're willing to take this path of trials and tribulations, this pressing, what is this kingdom about? It's all about Jesus Christ. The modern gospel makes it all about you and your carnal desires. We have to be very careful here, especially in our evangelism. Now, as a young believer, when I was younger, and I go out with other believers, and we, we had good intentions, but I was so ignorant of how to give the gospel. And I would say things like, hey, you don't want to go to hell, do you? I'd say, well, no. Well, do you want to go to heaven? I mean, in heaven, there's like everything that you could ever want. There's streets of gold, and there's, you get a mansion, and there's all these great things. Don't you want to go there and live forever? Boy, that sounds pretty good. I mean, okay, well, do you want to burn, or do you want to go to Hawaii? I mean, which one do you want? That's the way we present it. And of course, everybody's saying, well, yeah, I want paradise. I don't want to burn forever. I'll take the paradise. And, and what we're doing, really, is we're appealing to the bells and whistles of heaven. We're, we're telling people, hey, you've got carnal desires here. You like comfort. You like all these great things, great food and a great weather and all this stuff. Well, man, you need Jesus because Jesus is the ticket that will get you there. That's where we really mess up. He's not just the ticket. He's the main event. How many of you ever go to the movies or go to... Uh, the state fair or something. All right? So me and my wife, my family, we went to the state fair. Uh, was it October? When was it? Yeah, okay. And so, man, we were excited. My kids are excited. They love, you know, the rides and the food and all this good stuff. And so we buy our tickets online and we print our tickets out and we get to the gate and we show them our tickets. And they say, oh, you've got tickets. Come on in. And we go in. And you know what I did? I sat there and looked at my ticket the whole time. I said, oh, I love this ticket. And we stayed there for like seven hours. And I looked at my ticket the whole time. Yeah, that didn't happen. Right? You go to the movies, you know, you buy your ticket, you take your ticket to the little fella who's checking your ticket at the door, you walk in, you put your ticket in your pocket. You might even throw it in the trash because you're here to see a movie. You go to the fair to see the fair, right? The ticket just gets you there. That's the way we treat Jesus. He's just a ticket. No, he's not just a ticket. The gospel is the means by which we get there, but he's the main event. If you don't want to go to heaven to see Christ, you're not going. He is the main event, right? So let me ask you this. Is Jesus worth the journey? Are you willing to pay the cost of the kingdom? It comes at a price. It might hurt you on that path. I think about my brothers in, in Burma and uh, Myanmar. Uh, the place we're going to, I'll be traveling to in just two and a half weeks, um, is called Dewey. I, I, please, remember them in your prayers. Dewey is a huge city and... As of this point right now, they have 300 believers. Ten years ago, there's only 30. So it's basically an unreached people group in, in Myanmar. And the city that we're going to, like I said, is called Dewey. And um, 
it's different there for the believers. And so in two and a half weeks, we'll be traveling there. And so our mission is to do exactly what we're talking about here. We're going to go strengthen the souls of the disciples. We're going to encourage them to continue in the faith. And we're going to relay the message that there's going to be persecution. And it's so different for us here to understand that because we live in a, um, an American Christian society um, who is not really hostile, at least not yet, <laughs> to the gospel. It might be heading that way. But over there, it's, it's very different. Um, so we've got several believers that we work with uh, in the church, the local church there. And um, one family in particular, um, whenever, you, whenever you accept Christ, when you trust Christ as your Savior, and you make that profession, and you get baptized, it's, it's very different than baptism here. You get baptized here, your whole family comes down, everybody's, yay, everybody, everything's good. You go out to eat afterwards, right? Over there, you get baptized, and your family says, you're done. Get out of the house. You lose your job. You lose your family. Um, that stuff happens there. we got several believers who are right now going through those tribulations. we got one young man. Uh, he's in the family of the believers. He's just a little, little fella. Um, he goes to school every day. And every day, the teachers bring them by the Buddha statue, and they're supposed to bow down and do their homage and say their little prayer to the Buddha. And then they go into their classroom. Well, every day, he doesn't do it. He's Christian. So every day, he gets beat. So please pray for them. And you have to ask them, guys, what's it costing you? Is it worth it? Is Jesus worth the journey? Are you willing to pay the cost of the kingdom? Thank you guys for allowing us to be here. I'm going to try to finish this painting. My wife's going to sing. This painting might be a dud. I don't know. Okay. Hopefully it'll turn out okay. I've never done this one before. So at least you'll enjoy her singing, okay? So thank you.
true.